started off with where I wrote down, okay, what we need. Now, there's an overall picture where a lot of times the same kinds of issues are being dealt with all over the world at the same time in our, in our movement. It's really interesting how that works. It's a pattern. This is an issue. This is a problem. So on and so forth. So, again, the things I wrote down were things I've heard, I heard three or four times quickly. So there's a certain direction that they're going without talking to each other. How about this one? What we need most. Now, I'm not saying what they need most. Because when I say what we need as a movement, they were saying as a movement, that's what we need, we need too. That's what I think. What we need most. Here's, and it's so simple, here's what they, what they addressed. We need most the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Are you listening? Miracles, healings, supernatural events. And they're starting to happen across the movement. They started giving testimonies. And you're thinking, well, that's stuff you see on TV, and that stuff happened a long Hang on, okay? So the question is, is that something new? N- new for Jews? If we have an outreach to Jews, isn't that kind of new? Well, Michael Wolf's class, and this is motivation to get these tapes, okay? He said, well, the book of Acts, you've heard me say this too, that's how it was, and it can be that again. And the book of Acts is filled with miracles, healings, supernatural events, angels showing up on the scene. It's surprising people. But uh, nonetheless, that's the way it was. Those are Jews. And our prayer is that that's the way it's going to be with all of us. And they started talking about uh, uh, the prayer requests that have gone out for, for healings. And there's, it's, it's on, I mean, legitimate healings that you can document are on the rapid rise. Some of these uh, from their own wives and, and families. I mean, enormous, big, big things, uh, huge things. So, it, it can't be that again. It went to Acts 1.8. Again, a part of the initial vision of the Great Commission. Yeshua said, you will receive power. That's what we need. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's not how much you know. Not how much you study. Not how much you learn. Not how many degrees you have. It's the filling of the Holy Spirit. I mean, in the book of Acts, these were fishermen and farmers. That changed the world. And, and, and nobody stopped them. I mean, they kept putting them in jail. My topic at the conference is from Acts, where, where, where Peter, they, they were going to kill him. They killed James. That's a different story. Before he could do anything. And I've often wondered about that. He was trained up as a, as a special apostle in the inner circle, the inner three, Peter, James, and John. And had this special, he was, and then there's time to go and he gets killed. I go, wait a minute. All that training for what? I don't know. I don't know. But um, when he got killed, they said, hey, that, this is working fine. Now let's kill Peter. So they put Peter in jail, and they're going to kill him, right? Well, my, my 45-minute talk is about th- this event. That is one of the funniest stories in the entire Bible. Th- there's a lot of humor in Scripture. Because th- this, this was happening to Peter, and it was so amazing he couldn't believe it himself. The angel actually slaps him. You know? And <laughs> there's a point in, seriously, and he, Smote him. The word smote means, you know, yeah. And, and uh, okay, one of the funny parts about that story is he gets released supernaturally. I mean, he's chained to two soldiers. The chains fall off. An angel appears, you know, this bright light. Nobody else wakes up. And it's cold. It's April. We know, we know the month. It's cold. The angel said, first of all, put your shoes on. I'm like, okay. <laughs> he said, put your jacket on. It's cold outside, Peter. Okay. 
As they walk past each door, the cell doors open all by themselves. You know, kind of cool, huh? They get to the main gate, it, it opens up. They get to the street, and the angel says, see you, bye. Peter goes, I perceive that was real. I'm, I'm out of jail. So he goes to the, the house of John Mark, where there was a prayer meeting being held. And the purpose of the prayer meeting was that he might be released. All right, so he's knocked on the door. This, this is hilarious, if you ask me. The other part is, too, as you hear, hear the uh, whole teaching, the encounter with the angel is downright funny. Those, the, the wording. It's hilarious. The angel probably was just laughing. So they get to the, he gets to the house, right? They're hiding. The disciples are hiding because they're trying to kill them all. One by one, right? Knock on the door. Well, they're having a prayer meeting. A prayer meeting. So they send a servant girl named Rhoda. And the term for, for her is that she's uh, probably uh, fifth, uh, sixth grade. Well, uh, uh, we can spare you. You're just a kid. But we're praying. You know, why are we praying? We're praying for Peter's release because he's in prison. That's why we're having this prayer meeting. So she goes to the door. You know, who is it? It's Peter. She was excited, so excited she doesn't let him in. He's out in the cold, put his back. And, and one of the things you never, never, ever do, there's religious etiquette, you never interrupt a prayer meeting. Never. Everybody guess what? Peter's at the door. Literally, they say, you are nuts. It actually says that. Why do you think we're having this prayer meeting? We're praying that he'll be released from prison, supernaturally. That's why we're having, he can't be in the door because he's in jail because we're having this meeting, so he'll be, you know, what's wrong with that reasoning? But isn't that like us? We don't believe our prayers are going to be answered. It, that's too tough for God. You know, but they had, he's, the, the prayer was answered, but it says about Rhoda, for joy, she ran the other way to tell him. Anyway, they, they still wouldn't believe her. Finally, when they let him in, uh, he tells them the, the whole thing, but the point of it being is a little bit of a, a point that we're kind of like that sometimes, huh? We pray for things, miracles, but we don't expect God to answer the prayer. That's not faith. That's not faith. Since we're on that subject, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we asked the question. I'll, I'll keep asking it every, every couple of weeks. Have any of you had any suddenlies in the last two weeks? Unusual answers to prayer, miracles, healings. Healings are... Legitimate ones are on the rise across the movement. I know some of you have been praying. Anybody had anything they want to share today? A suddenly. Okay, I'll ask again next week. Yeah, Kurt. Week's good. <laughs> Good. Good. Right. Right. 
I don't want to steal any of Jack's thunder, but his is humorous like getting, but I, th- I think even more so. He starts to hear from the Lord. When he prays, that he hears from the Lord. So God says, okay, starts talking to him. And then it's like, well, okay, if this is really you, then do this. It happens. Well, well, if this is really you, then do this. And it's like, this is, this is better than, than Gideon. Jack, what's he, what do you think is happening? What, why do you, you hear this? It was dramatic answer to prayer. And it was suddenly, it came just like that. He said the words and the answer was there. And it's like, too good to be true, you did it again. Okay, let's do that again. A little like Gideon. Okay, one more time. Don't, don't, don't come back, just one more time. Okay, one more time. But it, it's like, it really is an example of how suddenly he can answer a huge prayer. And it actually changed his whole outlook on, on, on the future. So I can't wait till next week. Now, Book of Acts. It can't be that way again. Acts 1 you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Uh, power to do what? To be witnesses. To be witnesses of what? Of Him. Witnesses of Him, not other stuff. We have people that want to be witnesses of other things. We'll get there. Maybe today. Uh, okay, we're kind, of, we're kind of getting there today. Three different teachers said this. Now, when you get back, uh, read Acts uh, 26 to your congregation. Do Acts 26. Be what Acts 26 says. I go, well, maybe that's something I should look up. Turn to Acts 26. <clears throat> Acts 26. While you're turning, I was spoken to dramatically as well. I can't do two things at once. Hang on. Okay, there's Acts 26. Okay. Okay, these, these teachers referred us to Paul's example in Acts 26 concerning connections that are happening to all of us today. I'll get there in a moment. I'm, I'm going to read a part of that. But I was spoken to dramatically. And the group that was back there, that's all I said to them. But I got some specific direction. But what I got was specific direction on what we're to be teaching. And it's going to start like uh, soon, maybe next week. Uh, and it was, it was dramatic that... The, our congregation needs this. And I was like Peter, I go, well, that might be just me. And so I asked several ways, and the answer got louder and louder and louder. So, next week, I'm going to tell you what that is. Come back next week. There's a reason. There's a reason. Next week. All right, Acts 26. Paul is standing trial. This is his last one before he goes to Rome, before he stands trial there. But he's before Agrippa. Now, uh, Agrippa's wife was Jewish, and Agrippa's background was Edomite, but the, he tried to be kind of Jewish, and, you know, it did, didn't work so well. But, but he's, he's trying. So, uh, he's before King Agrippa. And this takes place in Caesarea, in the, in the theater in Caesarea. Some of you have been there. Verse 2, oh, not first one. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. Why is that lying in there? Because he talks with his hands, okay? He's going to talk, all right. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Judeans. See, the issue is this, and why we want to tell you about Joe with facts is that you get hearsay speculation, and it kind of changes around, and you end up not, the, not with the truth. 
So Paul says, you've heard stuff, right? I'm glad you're going to hear it from me, because you're getting it straight from, from, from me to you. All right. So he, he's, that's a good thing. Especially because, he said, look at this, he's buttering him up. Because you are an expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Judeans. Now he's buttering him up. Because that's, it was true. He was an expert in, in, in Jewish law and customs and so on. You know this, this part of it. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. Then he goes on and gives kind of a brief of, of the miraculous history of Israel. Then he goes into how he had this uh, amazingly, uh, a sudden encounter on the road to Damascus with Yeshua himself. But he emphasizes uh, how, uh, st- how strong his conviction was. And in all of Paul's uh, testimonies, each one is slightly different. You, you, know, you find out that he's not just beating on people, dragging people. He was actually killing people. And um, uh, he's now in the part of his life, he looks back and he goes, I can't believe my behavior. But he was full of zeal, but for the wrong thing. So, then he, he says, verse 12, While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus, with authority and, and, and the commission from the chief priests, at midday, that's important because it's broad daylight, okay, along the road, I saw a light from heaven. What's important there is that's not hearsay. I saw. I saw something. Okay? It was brighter than the sun, shining all around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, they all fell down to the ground. Then he says, I heard. He saw. He heard. That's being a witness. You shall be witnesses. All you have to answer is what you see and what you hear. You don't have to make anything up. You don't have to know anything else other than that. If you go to court, they swear you in as a witness. They ask you, what did you see? What did you hear? That's what, that's what he's saying, okay? But it was first-hand knowledge. I saw. I heard. I heard a voice speaking to me and saying, <laughs> this, is, this is really good, and saying in the Hebrew language, why does he have to say that? Think about it. This is interesting. When Yeshua speaks in Scripture, he speaks Hebrew, by the way, even in the book of Revelation. Okay? Now, we know that John wrote that in Greek, but when he heard those words, they were in Hebrew. Some other time on this. But this is interesting. Yeshua speaks in Hebrew to Saul of Tarsus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Well, first of all, you see the word Saul, Saul. You're getting a really short version, by the way, today. Anytime you see the doublet like this, where a name is said twice, you see it with Abraham and, and others. See, one thing I really wish we had was tone of voice, don't you? Is somebody yelling at somebody? Is he, is he, is he, we have tone of voice here. When you have the name said two times, it's said in a very loving and tender way. So here's Yeshua. I mean, Paul's killing believers. Yeshua could have said, I got you now. You know, we're going to... No. He, he speaks softly and tenderly with love. It's just like him, isn't it? That's how he speaks. That's what Paul heard. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, he wasn't persecuting him, was he? Ooh, he was persecuting believers. They have such an intimate relationship that if you persecute another believer, you're persecuting him. That's that per- he takes it personal. That, that's important to see. And then this verse, when I was at about sixth grade, I thought it was funny. It's, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, what does that mean? Well, again, this long story b- being short, 
the, the goad. You know, you've heard the expression uh, goading. Okay, a, a, um, a farmer with an ox. Okay, he's a, a big ox. It's better, better when they're big. Two of them, okay? And you're plowing. And the big ox wants to stop and rest. How are you going to change his mind? Because he's big, yeah. On, on the back of the plow, there's these two sharp things that come out very sharp, like this. They're called goads. And you jam them into his behind, like that. And he doesn't like that. So he gets up, so he goes. So he learns really quickly, if I stop, they do that. What, that's, what that picture is, is all of Paul's life, he was being steered and directed for this moment. And, and, and he was rebelling and going the other way, but all, he had the evidence already. He didn't have the faith. He didn't have the faith. So, and so he was, God was saying, you know, it's, it's hard to fight against me when I'm taking you somewhere. In this case, he was being pushed. Okay? A lot of your testimonies is how God maybe didn't push you, but maybe pulled you uh, into the kingdom. There have been, been some famous people that will say things like this. I was brought into the kingdom kicking and screaming. You know, the, the overwhelming grace of God sometimes takes us there. We can take no credit for anything. We're fighting all the way, just like he was. But God has a plan and a purpose. So that was what Thor was saying to, to Saul. So I said, this is his personal testimony. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he used the word Lord there. That's pretty, okay, there's some change going on. And he, he didn't want to hear this. I am Yeshua, whom you are persecuting. The I and the you. I am Yeshua, whom you are persecuting. Oh, I'm, I'm dead meat. I've had it. At least Yeshua could have said, well, why don't we have a, a, let's talk about this list of sins and you can have a repenting ceremony and we can baptize you or something. No. Didn't bring anything up of the negative. Nothing. Uh, now, when he spoke those words in Hebrew, what is he saying? Look at it like this. So I said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Yeshua. In Hebrew, what's that? Salvation. His name is Salvation. He is saying who he is and what he does. I am salvation. And right there is why I would have clobbered him. With the jury, with all the counts against him. But he ignores it. Verse 16, but rise and stand on your feet. Now, this, is, this applies to all of us. For I have appeared to you for this purpose. Here's the purpose. To make you a minister. Now, he's the one who does it. And to witness both of the of things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. Here's what's going to happen. I will deliver you from the, 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 the people. The word Jewish isn't in there. I will both Jews and Gentiles. As well as Gentiles. The nations. To whom I now send you. The least likely person to go to the nations. The expert in Torah. But look at this little outline. And again, this is a part of the calling on our life. Because what Paul taught about us as believers, he said, if you take it serious, if you are a true disciple, a disciplined learner, Yeshua kept saying, follow me. Follow me. It's the temptation is to follow somebody else or something else. Or what, but no, he said, follow me. Follow me. <clears throat> when we follow him and become his disciple, a disciplined learner, we then can represent him. And Paul called us ambassadors. You're, you're an ambassador of the Messiah. The, in, in the way the government is set up, an ambassador personally represents the president to some other country. We have been called to personally represent Yeshua. 
I guess my question is, are you doing it accurately? Are you doing it accurately or inaccurately? It's a huge responsibility. You have to do that. You have to live the lifestyle he taught, which is contrary to the world around us. They're not going to like what you have to say because we teach what he said to do what he did. He's our role model. He's our example. So, um, so if we're going to be an ambassador, then here's what ambassadors do. He said, I now send you. That was his commissioning. He's now a missionary. To open their eyes. To turn them from darkness to light. From the power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins. And an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Wow. To bring the message of salvation of Yeshua. The Messiah who died for their sins. To open their eyes spiritually. Uh, to take them from darkness to light. The, 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 the book of John starts, and, and the book of Genesis starts, we're all in darkness. But God says, let there be light. In the book of John chapter 1, it talks about the Messiah being the light. And he, you know, to have, to have that contrast, you have to have, have the darkness. So we have a message. But he is the solution. He's the answer. He's giving his testimony before Agrippa. Then he goes like this. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I did what God said. But declared first of those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region uh, of Judea and then to, to the, 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 the uh, nations that they should repent. Here's, the, here's, the, here's that little outline again. That they should repent. Turn to God. That's Teshuvah in Hebrew. And do works befitting repentance. See, it's not just the concept of faith alone. It's not like James teaches. If you have true faith, your behavior will change. What he said is, show me your faith by your works. That's just the test. The works don't bring you salvation, but they demonstrate who you are. In this case, there was repentance from sin, a turning from sin. From sin to what? To righteousness to him. <clears throat> For these reasons... The Judeans seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this very day I stand witnessing, see Acts 1.8, you shall be witnesses, witnessing both to small and great. Now, this is huge. Paul the Apostle, the Pharisee of Pharisees, having a long string of PhDs. You know, the most, some people say he was the most brilliant mind of the time, or maybe of all time. I mean, this brilliant, brilliant genius. And look at the humility here. Contrasting to other people we have seen on TV or the radio or whatever. He, he says this. I stand witnessing both to small and great. You know, it doesn't matter if it's a little group or a big group. If it's five people, I go and talk to them. If it's a stadium full of people, I go and talk to them. It doesn't matter. Because the value is these are people that God loves. And I know something they need to hear. It doesn't matter the numbers. It doesn't matter if they pay me or not or how much they pay me. I'm going to go because they need to know what I know. And I'm the light that shines in darkness. But I like the attitude is of, of small and great. Because there are people, um, you probably know some of them on TV and stuff, that when you call them to have them come and speak, well, their fees are astronomical. Now, wait a second. What went wrong 
somewhere. Paul, the example, says, I go to small and great. Um, people call me to speak, and that's usually one of the questions. Well, how much do you charge? I don't charge anything, okay? And I never will. And uh, I don't, there's not a value you can put on, you know, I come uh, for, for this much money. But it bothers me when people do a lot, when they say, this is my minimum. And then on top of that as well, then the hotel, and then the food, and then this, and this, and that. Wait a minute. Um, that bothers me. This is the right way. I go to small and great. And as Jonathan Kahn keeps saying, when you hear a CD, he, he is being used by God in a mighty way. He will say, I'm dust. I'm nothing. I'm nobody. And as he began to share with our group about the book, uh, The Harbinger, on how it was written, it was, he was writing it so fast while well, he was doing this, so fast that he had to kept, stop and look at what he was saying because it wasn't him. It was God putting this in print. Uh, anyway, so he's talking to Agrippa. Um, now, I went, went to small and great saying, now this is important, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses, that's called Torah, by the way, the Tanakh, said would come. He's saying, that's all I, I teach that, and how Yeshua came and, and all of that talked about him. He is the main thing. It's all about the scriptures pointing to who the Messiah would be. In other words, I teach the Bible is what he's saying. That's what I teach. He could have said, well, you know, the oral, oral traditions and this, and this He did not do that. He said the scriptures. So, <clears throat> that, um, uh, which the prophets and Moses said would, would come. That the Messiah would suffer. That he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light. There's the light again. Light to the Jewish people, and to the Gentiles. That's our message right there. All right? I mean, putting it in a nutshell, that, that is it. We make it so complicated sometimes. That is it. And as he made his defense, Festus, the governor, with a loud voice says, Paul, you're crazy. Much learning is driving you mad. But he said, <laughs> no one's ever accused me of that, but he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus. Notice he speaks uh, with respect. But I speak the words of truth and reason. For the king, and now this is an interesting, who's, who has who in captivity right here now. For, um, lost my place here. Oh, for, verse 26. For the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things. For I am confident that none of these things escapes his attention since this thing was not done in a corner. And then he does something unexpected. He turns to King Agrippa. He says, King Agrippa. Now, who's on trial? Who's on trial? King Agrippa. <laughs> do you believe the prophets? It's another way of saying, do you believe the Bible? Do you believe the Bible? He's on the spot. But he rescues him. He says, I know that you do believe. Interesting. King Agrippa believes the Bible. Isn't it? Is he saved? No. I know you believe the prophets. I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. Come back to that word in a second. Paul said, I would to God that not also you, but, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and all the others such as I am, except for these chains. You know, I'm free inside, but I'd like to have those taken off as well. 
So what's happening here? Well, a very, very dramatic moment. Um, Agrippa, correctly so, Paul is pointing out, he believes in the scriptures. He believed in Torah. He believed in, in, in the prophets. But that wasn't enough. Do you see that in this case? That was not enough. Being Torah observant, um, that's something you do. Okay? When you observe, you do things. Okay? Uh, being Torah observant will not get you to heaven. It will not forgive your sin. It doesn't guarantee your eternal destiny. But what the other part of that message does by trusting in Yeshua, only in trusting in Yeshua, and faith in Him can do that. So the other, while it's very important, and we believe it, the next step is the most important step, by putting your total faith and trust in the Messiah Himself, in Yeshua. And that's the message. And uh, quite frankly, if all it took was, was belief or faith in the Scriptures alone, then Yeshua wouldn't have had to come and die. But it's, it, all of that points to him. Are you trusting him? Is your faith in him? And in the uh, overlapping teachings, our identity came out again. We just did, did this at, at Hanukkah, right? And here's the quote. I heard it like three times. The IMCS, as includes us, that this is me. What we need is to be a spirit-led, Bible-based, Yeshua-focused congregation and individuals. That's what we need. That's what we need. And that statement is made by, by our, our leadership in the IMCS. So it's not just, just the knowledge we have that would be the smartest or the most graduates, but spirit-led, like in the book of Acts, Bible-based. We believe the scriptures cover to cover. Yeshua focused. He's the focus, not the other stuff. We get people arguing almost to the death about some little teeny thing that makes no difference in eternity whatsoever. It doesn't make any difference at all. None. Don't fight like that. Back to Hebrews 11, we talked about it with the kids earlier. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Faith, not works, is the essential ingredient. But James said, if you have faith, you will have works. It'll be automatic. You will do the works of righteousness. You will love people. You know, when you're arguing with that, that, that little verse, if you win the argument, you probably lose the friend. Where's the value? The value's in people. It's in people. Just give them time and they'll come around to your position because you're right. Right? You're not. Okay. You mean to tell me that one of us, I could maybe say at one point, uh, I was wrong? Is that possible? Uh, that is, that's possible. Some of the rabbis and I were talking about that horrible concept. And one thing we have in common is that all of us pray that some of our teaching tapes in the past would be stolen, burned, disappear, and no one listens to them. Because we've since learned and grown, and we said some things we're sorry for. And I honestly pray that some of those don't get to anybody. I don't want people hearing that, because I was wrong. I was wrong. And uh, you need to say that to you sometimes if you've been wrong. It's healthy. Uh, so anyway, Hebrews 11, the, the faith. We talked about the kids with Jericho and lap four and five and so on. But this morning when I was getting up, this was all, all coming together, and I was reminded to remember some of the promises of Scripture. In the, we talked about the Great Commission. We saw the one in, in, in Acts 1.8. 
in Matthew 28. All authority has been given unto me in heaven and upon earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, uh, uh, teaching them the things, uh, how to observe the things I taught you, and immersing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What's the next line? Really, that's the most important one. The next line. For I'm with you to the end of the age. Ah, what came out in several of the teachings was, remember the pro- his promise of his presence with us. He has promised to be with us in all that we do. Let's not forget that. Uh, the power and the authority of his presence with us. Because that's what we need. His presence with us. We need to plug in and tune in to that. Uh, the, the, the directions in, the, in that great commission uh, of his presence and his promises. Go. We're to go. We're to be a witness uh, of him. Of him. We're to make disciples of him. Disciples of him. Teach people what he taught. He's our role model. He's our example. And immerse them in his name. His name, that's a Hebraic um, idiom, meaning everything that he is about falls under that. All right? So in remembering the promises, this morning as I was praying, very early before we came, Hebrews 13, he said, I will never, ever leave you or forsake you. Other people do, don't they? But he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Romans 8. You know what? All things work together for good. To those who love God. That sounds like the Shema, doesn't it? Hmm. To to them who are the called according to his purpose. If you're in his plan and purpose in walking with him, no matter what the circumstance, okay, it's going to work together for good. The outcome will be good. Lap six around Jericho, was they were getting tiring. It's getting dusty. No. One more to go. So hang in there. We open the service today with this scripture, Psalm 84. The Lord shall, verse 11, the Lord shall give grace and glory. I know I need grace. Um, no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. When you, when you, have a, the lifestyle that he taught. He says, I will not withhold any good thing from you. Does that mean you're going to be rich? No. Nothing to do with that. The, the good things. What are the most important things in life? And it's not money. It's other people. See, I would have never understood this had I not married Susan. Because while she's the jewel of jewels and gem of gems, and all that, princesses of princesses of princesses, my grandkids. I, I go, listen, I never would have thought what that would be like. Okay, the grandkids. It's the people, it's family. Uh, the value is in other people. The whole thing is we're to be witnesses to people. We're to help people. We're to bless people. It's people. It's not knowledge-oriented. It's people-oriented. When we represent the Messiah, we're supposed to act like him. He, he cried sometimes. He, he loved little kids. He wanted to bless them. And he got mad at, at the disciples uh, when they said, they're not important, they're really important. When people were hungry, he fed them. He didn't say, well, as soon as you sign up for our, our group here, no. When they, when they were hungry, he fed them. And uh, we need to, <laughs> the bottom line is we need to be like him. Hebrews 4. His invitation. I love this. To come into his presence. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. And 
That's a good one. And find grace to help in time of need. Anybody have a need in this room? Anybody have a need? Anybody need a suddenly? If you were to approach, listen carefully, the throne of grace of the King of Kings, you're invited in. What would you ask him? What would you ask him? Well, right now, I want you to bow your head and ask him. Ask him. In quiet prayer. But ask him for the impossible. The thing that you need the most, that your lack of faith is saying, that can never be. Ask him for it. Right now, just ask him for it. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to ask if you've had a suddenly. Or if you've asked... (laughs) For that, that those things that he wants to give to you, you'll receive those. And we want to hear about answered prayer. But you've been invited into his presence. And you have the right to be there because you're one of his children. You're a son or a daughter of the king, the king of kings. He invites you in and he wants to hear what you have to say. What one thing would you ask him for? What would you that? And secondly... When he goes to speak to you, what would you like him to say to you? Think about it. Let's all stand.